Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We do want to celebrate today as we look at what we do call the most wonderful time of the year. And and what we've done over the last month is we've taken a name um, that was given to Jesus some 800 years before he was born. Um, And we've walked through each of these names so that we would understand Emmanuel. What does it mean when we hear that God is coming to be with us? What what do we have access to as a child of God? And so we've we've taken a name each week, and this week is going to be no different, um, other than it's going to be the last name that we're going to be looking at in this Christmas season. Um, So we've been looking at the passage of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so if you, I don't want you to turn there in your Bible because we're not going to stay there very long. It's going to be on the screen, and we're just going to read it together, um, and then we're going to tell you where we're going to be going from there. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so today we're going to look at the name that was given to Jesus, like I said, 800 years before his birth. And we're going to look at this name, Prince of Peace. And so I know that we're here today for all of us. We come to celebrate this birth. But oddly enough, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is a a passage that comes between Jesus and his disciples actually the day before his death. And so if you've got your Bible, I do want you to turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 27 And so I'm not gonna try to to, uh, define the word peace. I'm gonna let Jesus do it for us. Um, So what better way to, to explain the scripture other than using the scripture to explain it? And so as we look at this this idea of of peace, Jesus is gonna help us to understand what it means that he is the prince of peace. John chapter 14, I want you to read with me in verse 27. He says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. And so what we're gonna take some some time to do this morning right quick is we're gonna first turn our attention to the middle portion of this passage. Jesus is gonna explain to us the peace that he's talking about, but I first wanna unpack what does he mean when he says, what I'm giving you is different from what the world gives you. What I'm gonna give you, what I'm gonna offer you is different from what the world gives you because this day and age, if we were going to use our word or our culture to define the word peace, it would probably sound a lot like this, that peace is simply the absence of difficulty. That peace is simply um, a life with no worries, a life with no trouble. Many of us would agree that we would define peace as it's a relief from pressure or problems. 
This is the very reason that we use the word peace a lot. Because even in this season, many of you, after probably two days from now, you're gonna probably say something that sounds similar to this. I just need some peace and quiet. That means that the storms have been calmed. That means that the chaos of Christmas are over. Or maybe even when someone we love passes away, what is the statement we always say? Rest in peace. Because it signifies the absence of troubles, the absence of problems. And so we use that word peace a lot of times to help us get our minds around this fact that, it, that our world defines it in such a way that it's just simply no issues. It's just smooth sailing. So I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner, okay? So if, if I were gonna pick a photo that defines this, this, this definition that the world gives us, it would look a lot like what's on our screen now. Um, it's just a, a body of water. There's no wind. There's no waves. There's no storm. There's no chaos. And you can even look at that and you can envision yourself sitting on the beach, looking out across that and you can breathe, right? Because it just seems all the troubles are gone, right? And so if this is the definition that the world gives us for peace, then this next picture that I want you to look at is the exact opposite. There's winds, there's waves, there's storms, there's crashing against rocks. It, it looks like a train wreck. It looks like a disaster. And so for all of us this morning, if I was gonna ask you to take one of these photos to, to describe maybe your circumstances or your situation or, or maybe what picture sums up life right now, would it be that picture of the calm water of the peace, that there's no worries, that there's no wind, there's no rain, and it just seems like life is simple? And if you're here this morning, you're going, yep, that's my life, then, then I'm gonna pray for forgiveness because I'm coveting your life. Because we know that that is probably not the reality. Many of us would probably lean towards the second photo of the storms, the wind, the waves, the crashing, that this defines life. But here's where the rubber meets the road. This peace that the world offers us, the world promises us, the world promises us that if we will do certain things that we can go from this chaotic, stormy life, and if we will participate in all that the world offers, then you can experience the life with no waves, no wind, no storms. And so what Jesus is gonna help us understand today is that that, that that invitation to experience peace that way in which the world wants to give it, just honestly, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Because the world will tell us if you'll try this or you'll try that, your life can go from this raging sea to this calmness of water, this calm body where there's no wind, there's no storms, because our world has taught us that peace is a life without trouble. And so as we look at these pictures and we think about that, what I want you to hear today is that what the world offers, the world offers the fact that we, not the fact, but the, the lie that we experience peace through self-indulgence, that you'll experience peace through materialism, that you'll experience peace through romance. For some of you, it may be that you can find peace through substances, and at the end of the day, the world is gonna continue to offer you 
a host of other placebos that, that make us believe that we can find peace. The world will say, if you'll just try this, your life will go from a stormy mess to a calm sea. But what you have to understand is this type of peace, it's an illusion. That type of peace is not reality. One scholar said this, that peace based on temporarily positive circumstances or, I love this, ignorant escapisms is not peace at all. It's fleeting. This type of peace that the world offers all of us, I'm here to tell you this morning that it does not last. And so as we look at the difference between what Jesus offers and what the world offers, you're gonna see that there's a drastic difference in the peace that the two offers. Billy Graham says this, the world doesn't give peace for it doesn't have any peace to give. It fights for peace. It negotiates for peace. It maneuvers for peace. But there is no ultimate peace in this world. But Jesus gives peace to those who put their trust in him. It's that simple. This is where peace is found. And so as you're gonna look in verse 27, Jesus begins to describe, we've already explained what peace looks like that the world offers and how it's not true and how it doesn't last, how it's fleeting. And so what we're gonna see now is what Jesus is offering is the only thing that will ever last. And if you look at the very first phrase of verse 27, Jesus says this to his disciples. Keep in mind, he's getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to follow through with what God has sent him to do. In verse 27, he begins by saying, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. So understand this peace that Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't saying that I'm just simply leaving you with no difficulties. I'm leaving you with no problems, with no trouble, with a life of smooth sailing. What you're gonna find when you study this text is that what Jesus is talking about is the peace that I'm leaving with you is the ability to be right with God. Because you see, for all human beings, we all have a longing for peace. The world will tell us where peace is found and what we have to understand is it doesn't matter if you're a believer or unbeliever today, you all long for peace with God. Whether you believe it or not, that's the unsettled thing in your heart is that you desire to be at peace with God. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm coming, I'm gonna accomplish what God's called me to do, I'm gonna do what my Father has sent me to do, but I'm leaving you with the ability to be made right with God because in your flesh, you can't do it. Through my life, through my death, and ultimately through my resurrection, you will be made right with God when placing your faith in what I have been sent to do. And so when Jesus tells the disciples, I'm leaving with you peace, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna fix man's inability to be right with God. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fix man's inability to be right with God. Because what we live is in a world of performance. And many of you probably think that there's no way God can love you because you're not good enough. Can I tell you that we all qualify for that? All of us. It's the very purpose that God sent his only son to do what we couldn't do. 
to live a life of perfection and righteousness and to overcome death, hell, and the grave. But you see, it goes all the way back to the garden. It goes back to Adam and Eve who messed it up for everybody. How many of you are gonna have a conversation when we see them? If we see, I don't know. That's, that's still up for debate. But Adam and Eve, they've passed that curse of sin on to us. And so the curse that we talk about is from birth, every man and woman opposes God as a result of heritage and choice. We're all born in opposition to God. We're all born an enemy of God, all of us, because sin separates us from the perfect love of God. And so Jesus is wanting us to understand when he tells the disciples, I'm leaving with you peace. I'm leaving you with the ability for this hostility between God and man to be resolved. That's what I've been sent to do. I've been sent to accomplish that. And Jesus is telling them, if you believe in me, if you believe in the work that I've been sent to do, if you believe in the work that my father has sent me to accomplish for you, then you'll be made right with God. It's something that I have been sent to accomplish. And it is only when we're right with God that you experience eternal life and ultimately experience the peace that Jesus is alluding to. And so for all of us in the room today, you either believe in Jesus, you either trust him or you don't. It's that simple. It's that black and white. Do we believe in the life and the work of Jesus? Do we, have we placed our faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins? And if we have, then you can sit here today with all the confidence in the world knowing that you're at peace with God. What a special place to be is at peace with God. And if you remember what it was like to be not at peace with God, you're overwhelmed with what it feels to be at peace with God. That's why we worship. That's why we lift our hands because we discover and understand that because of the finished work of him that we've been set free. Romans chapter five, verse one Paul writes this, and he says in, in verse one of chapter five, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We only have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is telling the disciples before he goes and go, gets to work with what God is sending to do, he says, I'm leaving with you the ability to be right with God. But then look what he says in the next sentence of that very same verse. Verse 27, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. So we have to think, what is the difference here? He says, peace I'm leaving with you and my peace I'm giving to you. We've already talked about what the peace he's leaving. The peace he's leaving is the ability to be made right with God. But this peace that he's talking about now is the very peace that Jesus himself had as he hung on the cross to accomplish the work that his father had sent him to do. The peace that Jesus had in his heart when he faced hostility. The peace that Jesus had in his heart when he faced hatred. The peace that Jesus had in his heart when he faced the betrayal of the very people that he came to set free. He still had peace 
because he knew that it was what the Father had sent him to accomplish. And so what we understand is that what Jesus is alluding to here is that Jesus is talking about a peace that doesn't make sense to a world. Because remember the way the world defines peace. Peace is only the absence of trouble, only the absence of trials. And if there's storms in your life, if there's a rage in your life, then you can't be at peace. You see, the difference is, is we got another picture because I'm a very visually minded person. You see here that the, the picture that Jesus is wanting us to understand is that even in the face of our trials and our struggles, a peace that he gives rises us above the storms of life. It gets us above the waves crashing. It gets us above the wind. And this is the only peace that we can find that Jesus offers. However, the world will tell us that you can find this in the very things that the world offers. But just as we've said, we understand it don't last. The peace that Jesus had, that he says, my peace I leave to you, is the peace that you and I can have in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our trials. Jesus says, not only am I leaving you with the peace to be made right with God, but I'm leaving you with my peace so that you can be raised above your circumstances, above what life is throwing at you. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse two, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. This is talking about Jesus. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus, we understand the peace that he's talking about is that he knew that even though the circumstances that he was living in, hanging on the cross, naked before all of mankind, that he found peace because he knew what awaited him. He knew where he was headed. He knew what he was about to experience. And he knew that he was gonna provide a way for you and for me. Because you have to understand it is that a child of God, there is a joy that is before us. There's a joy that we long to see, a life with no pain, a life with no sickness, a life with no cancer, a life with no death, a life with no waves, a life with no storms, and that is being in the presence of the one who sent his son to die for us so that we could have that peace that passes all understanding. That's how you get through the storms of life is because we realize what we are living in, it doesn't last either. For the very same reason that Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that set before him, let you and I too endure our struggles, endure our trials because of the joy that set before us. Because we have to understand that whatever your circumstance is, and listen, I know it's so much easier to say when you're on the other side, but what you're living in now, the disaster, whatever personally that means to you, it won't last. It's fleeting too. But be reminded of the joy that waits before us. And so this morning, Jesus tells us that I'm leaving with you peace. I'm leaving with you the ability to made right with God, but not only that,
I'm leaving you with my peace so that you can find peace in the midst of your storm. And what you have to understand today is that this peace that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's offered to every person in this room. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you've been. For the child of God, you need to take into consideration what the writer of Hebrews said. Then in the midst of your storm, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to him and you too will be able to endure the storm that you're being dealt right now. But also for the unbeliever in the room today, maybe, maybe you're not at peace with God. And I want you to know that if you're not at peace with God, if you've never placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he was sent to do from the baby to his death, I want you to know that you've been prayed for this morning. I sat on my back porch this morning at 5.30 pleading with God to wake you up right where you were sleeping at 5.30. So right now, if you were here this morning and you woke up at 5.30 this morning, The Lord may be trying to tell you you ain't right with him. And I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I love you enough to take your name before the Lord, to take you before the Lord and ask God to make the blind eye see, to let the deaf ear hear the good news of the gospel. that if you're not at peace with God, can I tell you this morning, you will not find it apart from placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the only place you're gonna discover it, the only place you're gonna find it. And so this morning, if you've never been made right with God, The Bible tells us to simply repent and believe. That means turn away from your ways and trust his. Have you trusted in his death, burial, and the resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? And we're gonna give you an opportunity in just a moment to respond to that, but as we're all here together today to celebrate this birth of, of our Savior, to celebrate the birth of this peace, I don't ever want to go past it without remembering what the baby was sent to do. The baby was sent to die. And so while we get the picture of the manger, I don't ever want us to get past the picture of the cross. Because without the manger, there is no cross. But for the child of God, the cross is what provided the way. The cross is what provided the way for you and I to find peace. Because God is a just God, our sin must be punished. Punished by death. But God loved you so much that he sent his son to absorb his wrath that was the death and the punishment that is 
for us. And if you placed your faith in what Jesus was sent to do. And so this morning, we're gonna take some time at the end of our time together and we're gonna remember what the Lord has done by taking of the Lord's Supper together as a family. Now, we're gonna do it in such a way that Paul commanded the church at Corinth to do it. He warned the church at Corinth, do not take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so you may ask the question, well, what deems someone unworthy? And we're gonna mention three ways that deem someone unworthy to take of the Lord's Supper. The first two are for the child of God. If you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus, for you to partake in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is to, to harbor unconfessed sin in your heart. And so in just a moment, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come to this altar to confess your sins before the Lord. Praise be unto God because of the shed blood of Jesus. That sin's already forgiven, but the Father desires for us to confess it to him. And so for the children of God, myself included, confessing my sins before the Lord is something that I have to do constantly, all day, every day. But the second thing that would deem someone unworthy as a child of God to partake of the Lord's Supper is if you're not at harmony with another brother and sister in Christ. Maybe there's some of you today that you're, there's animosity between you and another believer. And maybe today before you take of the Lord's Supper, you need to make that right. And as we often laugh here, that some of you are probably going, oh, praise God, who I don't have a problem with, they're not even here today. You got a cell phone in your hand. And what's so encouraging, and I have seen people get up and leave in this moment of the service and go outside in our lobbies and make phone calls to make things right with a brother or sister in Christ that they've had issues with. And the last time we did the Lord's Supper, I had an elder gentleman come over to me in the hallway here. And with tears rolling down his face, he said, today's the first time I've ever taken of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. He said, I had to step out and make a phone call and tell somebody that I was sorry. He said, I've never experienced, you guessed it, such peace. And so for the believer, we wanna give you an opportunity in just a minute to confess your sins before the Lord and to make things right with a brother or sister in Christ. But lastly, the way of taking an of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And look, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but if you've never been saved by the grace of God, if you've never repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then this time of remembrance is not for you. And so the good news is there's still time for it to be for you. Because if you're here this morning if God woke you up at 5.30, I have prayed that the Spirit of God would draw you to himself today. That no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that the Father sent his Son to shed his blood to wipe away your sins, to wash you cleaner than snow. And so in just a moment, we're gonna give us all an opportunity 
to be obedient before we take of the Lord's Supper together. And maybe this is your first time here. You, you think, well, man, this is going to be awkward. Yeah, it will be. But the question that I have to ask you is I'm not going to, I don't want to make it easy. And so in just a moment, when we give a time of response, we're not going to have any loud music. The keys are going to continue to play, but this altar's open. I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's standing. It makes it easier to move. But maybe as a child of God today, you need to come in this altar and confess your sins before the Lord. Maybe you need to get up and walk to the other side of the room where that person you don't like is sitting and you didn't make things right. Or maybe today you're not at peace with God. I invite you to move. I would love to pray with you. I would love to show you in God's word what it means and what it looks like to be at peace with God. We've got other pastors who are down here to meet you as well. But if you could honestly say right now, Brian, I'm not at peace with God and I need to place my faith in him. I can't do this anymore. Then in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and just come and join us at the front just so we can simply pray with you and celebrate you. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And when I finish praying, you don't have to wait till I'm finished, but as a child of God, if you need to move, you move. If you've never been saved, I ask you to move as well. God, I thank you. God, that you always give us an opportunity to move. God, your arms are always open. And so God, all across this room, I pray for the, for the church. I pray for the children of God today that we would get honest before you today that we would confess our sins, that we would make things right with a brother or sister. But God, for the unbeliever today, Lord, I, I pray that you continue to draw them to yourself. God, save someone here this morning. But God, you move in Jesus' name. Amen. You be obedient with what the Spirit leads you to do. This altar's open. We've already got people down here praying. God, we thank you this morning, God, for a people who are obedient. And God, I have no doubt in my mind that you met someone right where they are in their seats. And so God, I just thank you for salvation. I thank you for a place that we can confess our failures <coughs> with, without judgment or coughing. But God, I pray that you would take this time as we've come before you this morning and ask you to, to clean our hands and to purify our hearts. So God, we thank you for meeting us here today. And all God's people together said, amen. As we get ready to take of communion in the Lord's Supper, to be reminded of what God has done for us by sending his son the first thing that we need to do is to remember the breaking of the body of the precious baby boy 
named Jesus. The fact that he was sent to die. And the scourging and the beating and the bruising that he took upon himself was intended for you and I. And so before we take of the bread, before we remember the body that was broken, according to the scripture, we wanna take time to give thanks for that very body that was broken. And so with everyone head bowed and eye closed, I ask you in your own words to thank God for the bruising of his own son's body. So God, as we take time to remember, God, as we take time to remember what you sent your son to do, God, never let us take for granted that the body that he, that he sacrificed, that he willingly gave up, to be broken on our behalf. God, let us never, never get over the thankful heart of what he's done. And so God, today we say thank you for the body of your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice that he made for us. And God, we ask this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now as we take time to remember the blood that was shed on the cross for you and I, because what we understand is what the scripture says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so what we need to remember today is that because of his, shed, or his blood being shed, you and I could be washed whiter than snow by what he did, not what we've done. And so let's give thanks to the Lord for the blood that was shed. God, we thank you. We thank you for the blood that was shed. And Lord, I personally want to thank you that with that one drop, God, that it was the cleansing flood that washed me whiter than snow. And so God, today we give you thanks. We praise you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. And God, we simply say thank you today. Amen. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're gonna do now is something that has become very ceremonial at Christmas time. But it simply is exactly what that last verse says, that our responsibility as followers of Christ is to proclaim his death until the day he comes. We are called as his children to be the light in the world. And so as we light each candle, let each candle represent our responsibility, us carrying the baton into a lost and a dying world to be the light in the darkness. So if you would, I want you to stand to your feet and join us as we get ready to worship together of this light that is ours.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.